was so funny. I, I don't know. I got like a tickle in my throat. And I, just, I, couldn't. I was just, just loving the enthusiasm. That's all. Welcome to GCP Life, episode number 20. GCP Life is a podcast where we discuss Google Cloud and tech. This show is sponsored by Kazna. At Kazna, we make your Google Cloud solutions possible. Now, I'm your host, Stephen Bancroft. On today's show, we break format with a deep dive into GCVE, Google Cloud's VMware engine service. Plus, we hear a few new horror stories. But before we get to any of that... I want to introduce the co-host that's with me all the time, Dave Wall. How are you going, Dave? I am doing absolutely brilliantly. Thanks, Banky. How are you today? <laughs> I am awesome. And we have a special guest with us today, Ian Brown. How are you going, Ian? Oh, I'm fantastic. How are you doing, guys? Good, 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 guys. A little more, a little more upbeat, guys. A little more vibe. I want some more vibe. <laughs> a bit more mojo. Glad to have company on this one today. <laughs> yeah. I know. I know. <laughs> It's going to be great. Yes, we are here today. We break, we're breaking format. We're going into GCVE Deep Dive. Uh, the three of us just came off a, a really, really exciting, really fun project, uh, which was a GCVE migration, um, moving a whole bunch of stuff from on-prem VMware uh, estate into GCVE in Google Cloud. Um, how would you sum it up in a sentence? Rapid. <laughs> rapid, um, yeah, we rapid. Moved, a, moved a lot of gear in a short period of time. Rapid learning curve was it? Was another one? Curve. Yeah, it was. Yeah, yeah. and we'll, we'll get into all the details on that as we move through. But um, we do have a special guest here for this episode, Ian. Um, now, as is tradition, Ian. Um, first of all, introduce yourself, and as is tradition on the show. We uh, we like to hear a horror story from you. I mean, you've been working in tech for for quite a while. I'm sure you've got a few horror stories. Oh, I've got a few indeed. Mm. Um, so uh, obviously, I'm Ian. I'm a senior cloud engineer with Kasner. Uh, I'm also a Google developers expert, specialising in cloud platform, and I've been in IT for twenty four years, something around that long. It's been a while. But let's go with a horror story, hey? Yeah, um, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, I'll just kick, because I never get a chance to tell horror stories. I've got, I've got tons of them, right? So yeah. I'll just kick one, I'll just kick it off just to break the ice a little bit. It's a quick one, right? I worked with a bloke that deleted slash bin because he thought it was a rubbish bin directory. Uh, oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> Empty the trash. <laughs> <laughs> Empty the trash. Well, yeah. Anyway, my, <laughs> well, clearly we don't need those things. They're in the bin. Well, my, mine was a uh, mine was a typo. Uh, I was I was a young fellow working for a very large real estate company in Australia, um, looking after their web platform, and I meant to delete the current directory that I was in. Uh, <laughs> so, as all Unix admins do, rm rf dot slash, except I missed the dot. <sighs> On a production server, you know, not not too bad. <laughs> We had another one, so that, that was that was the worst one that I did. You uh, got to be careful with RM minus oh, RF wherever you are. Yep, 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 yeah, definitely. And and then here we go. Here's a, here's a classic one. I had some help one day, uh, and we use term, the term help in inverted commas. I was I was at a small builders in Brisbane, and uh, they were having issues with one of the discs in the server. It started flashing orange. So bloke in the office called me. I said, I'll just pull it out and put it back in. Um, let me know what it is. Take a photo of it and send it to me and I'll order a new one. And so he did that and the disc came green again. So we didn't worry about it for a little bit. I'd already, I've already ordered the new one. 
And then it started flashing again. So he thought he'll take it upon himself, he'll pull it out, and he'll swap it with one of the other discs in the RAID 5. Mm. And, of course, we lost the RAID. Ouch. That took about three weeks to get back and a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. Right, so backups or you went to a specialist recovery service? Specialist recovery service. Yeah. Yep. 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 And they did the full forensics on the drive to get everything off it. Ouch. Yep. Yeah. That that one hurt. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Back to your previous one on the old, you know, RM minus RF. You'd think that we could engineer around that, right? Like have a little safety break that if you ever do like at say a pseudo RM minus RF slash, then it should come and go, hey, do you really want to do this? <laughs> this one command has broken so many systems. Yeah, well, what what you, what you really should do is alias RM, RM to RM minus I, so it does it interactively and actually prompts you. Yep. So, um, so what we yeah. did was actually alias the entire command, so if someone tried to do that again, um, all it did was respond back with a, sorry, not doing that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, there's there's certain safeties around it. Um, yeah, I've seen tricks with find using find and stuff when you're doing that, so you don't you know accidentally delete the root directory. <laughs> um, yeah, you just got to be careful. I personally haven't done it. Um, been close though, I'd have to say. <laughs> been yep. close. I learned very quickly to pay a lot more attention to what I was doing than just yep. keying in the commands because it was obviously over a um, SSH. And the link was a bit laggy, so it missed the dot and it got the slash instead. Yep. Oh, ouch. Mm. All right. Well, look, guys, um, just um, just before we get into everything, have you guys been up to any tech adventures during the week? I know um, I finally built my new rig. I, Spill uh, the tea. I've, I've, I've built it, yeah. So we've ended up with a B550 uh, motherboard with a Ryzen 5700. Uh, threw that old 37, um, t- uh, 3070Ti in there. And in War Thunder, I can get about 189 frames per second in War Thunder. That's on full high-quality high mode. Yep. Uh, but the CPU is absolutely clapped out to do that. And there's no headroom at all. So I've actually backed it down to 90 frames per second, and uh, it is like butter. Yeah, it nice. is so smooth. <laughs> Solid 90, no jerking, no flicks or anything like that, no tearing, and uh, there's a bit of headroom in there, you know, for it to go up and down if there's any any background processes going on. But yeah, very happy with the build. Um, I uh, Also, I've got some of these new Noctua fans, put them uh, in there, four-pin PWM fans. The classy brown fans. ones? The classy brown ones, they're the ones. Um, because the, the, the daggy old case fans that were in there were just, you know, they had the old knob on them, those kind, that kind of style. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I did repurpose the case, and it is quiet. It is so quiet now. Um, I just the, the, the little NAS sitting on the table behind me is louder than it. <laughs> so uh, you're very, very happy with the way that's come out. And uh, you know, like I ended up, uh, I, I wasn't going to put, I wasn't going to. Well, originally I didn't plan to put spinning discs in there. I, I was just going to go with all flash, you know, yeah. rated all flash. But I had. Two four TB discs. I just rated them up, and now I've got just like an eight TB, or I just install Steam stuff and all that. And mate, it is quick. It is quick that the 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 discs hum along quite nicely. 
and uh, games load a lot quicker, and I'm, I'm, I'm getting my work done a lot, lot faster. Oh, good. Great. <laughs> um, and your old machine, have you got uh, a destiny for it? Yeah, so it's a uh, Sabretooth X58, which is an awesome motherboard for the era, um, and I actually have a Intel 990X, which is the Intel Extreme CPU, 12-core Extreme, which is the biggest CPU that will go on that motherboard, and it's maxed out, 24 gig of RAM, but yeah, that'll get used, so I'm going to use that as a Proxmox machine. Mm. Oh, yeah, I think that might just hit the minimum specs required. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, I put Proxmox on a lot of old stuff, and it does work. Um, so, yeah, I'll just have some containers and, you know, virtual machines on there and muck around with them. That'll go, that'll go into my data center space under the house. Very oh, nice. nice. I, um, yeah, I was also repurposing some kits. So I think I mentioned a while ago that I was playing around with uh, OpenSense as a, I was going to virtualize the firewall um, and finally forced my hand on it on uh, Friday because I got my NBN upgraded, and uh, which is great. So, you know, loving being able to get a gig down. That's awesome. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, my old router just couldn't push it. My router with a VPN tunnel and any, like, uh, IPS or IDS turned on, I could only get 170 meg through it and just Ew. couldn't handle it. Um, so, yeah, I had a, an old QNAP NAS sitting around. I'm like, oh, you know, maybe I'm better off doing that rather than virtualizing it and running on my true NAS box. I kind of like the idea of keeping my firewall as a separate physical thing. So, like, if I'm away and I need someone to reboot it, they can. They don't have yeah. to, like try and log into, you know, my virtual clients and, and do it that way. So, yep. um, yeah, I looked up how to, you know, reinstall the OS on one of those. And in the end, all I had to do was um, make take the chassis off it. And then there's a little DOM that's inside that just sits on like an eight pin header and just pop that off, put a fresh disc in it. And then it, you know, just boots up and I was able to install uh, OpenSense on there. Fine. So. Easy peasy. Um, yeah. Nice. Yeah. The only yeah. thing that I haven't worked out how to do is it's got a uh, it's got a screen on it, um, which normally on your QNAP would tell you like the IP address of the box, and now the screen comes up, but it just consistently says like booting up, <laughs> just all the time. It's got booting up on a little progress bar that just keeps moving across. So I've got to find like a a free BSD plugin that can interact with it. What about yourself, Ian? Oh, mate, I've uh, speaking about about gaming. Uh, I got. Alerted the other day, um, I'm part of a group called Flounder, uh, which is a free and open source software down under, and uh, and we got alerted the other day to a uh, a pure Linux um, gaming environment called Eps- Empty Epsilon, which is a sort of a clone of Artemis Spaceship Bridge. So I've just downloaded that last night onto uh, my little laptop that sits off the side here in old Fedora box, and it's uh, it just hums along quite nicely. So I'll, g- I'll give that a bit more of a go and report back later. Yeah, right. I'm just having a look here. Em- empty Epsilon. That's mm. it. Yeah. Uh, like Artemis Spaceship Bridge Simulator. Yep. Yeah, right. I'll, ch- I'll chuck a link in the show notes for that one. Yeah, that's a really cool project. And um, on a more technical one, uh, I've been playing with the Raspberry Pi Pico, and mm. uh, I've got a little temperature sensor that sits in my office here that I've coded up using Python uh, with a little LCD screen. And now I'm feeding that data back into Google Cloud's IoT. Cool. Oh, awesome! So, ah, very cool. Yeah. So I'm going to do a write up on that on my blog uh, in the in the coming weeks. And um, you got any long term aspirations for this device? 
Oh, not not for the temperature sensor. It was just more right. of a little play around for me um, to learn yeah. how to punch stuff into IoT Core. Ah, uh, sure. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, there is a side project going on for me that's uh, that's got to do with cattle and and uh, farming and the likes and Laura. Yeah, yeah. Because you know you're in Queensland, so that's kind of what Queensland's all about, right? <laughs> <laughs> we don't like to, uh, you know. Treat servers as pets anymore, so right, right, we're right. treating servers as cattle, and that's I guess cattle as cattle, cattle, right? That's exactly right. <laughs> All right, guys, let's go on with the show. Look, we are going to get into the GCVS stuff, but I thought there'd be a couple of uh, Stop the Presses stories, and I thought we'd cover this one now. Um, look, at first I saw this story, and I thought, meh, it's a bit nothing, but but then I thought, no, let's talk about it. Google Cloud introduces optimized Rocky Linux images for customers moving off CentOS. Google Cloud builds and supports Rocky Linux images for compute image with both a fully open source version and one optimized for Google Cloud. So that's good. Uh, the fact we're still getting a Google Cloud optimized image. I mean, I suppose this one is uh, would be, I suppose it would be more as a competitor to uh, Amazon Linux which is their CentOS distribution or CentOS kind of based. Right. Um, that's okay. that's where I would see this. Like you still want CentOS-like, you don't want to cut across to a Debian-based system, um, then you can go with Rocky Linux. Well, that's what I thought as well because you, you're not going to go down the rail path, right, if you're just some little small little project, but you, you want uh, Red Hat. You really like Yum. So. And you really <laughs> like Yum, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I I see it as I don't actually see it as a Red Hat problem there because um, to my knowledge Rocky Linux isn't actually a Red Hat product. It's a it's Stream OS is the is the replacement no, for CentOS. That that's right. It's not a Red Hat yeah. product. It's just been spun up by Randos. Yeah. So it's the it's the original founder of CentOS has spun this up as the replacement to CentOS. You now that Red Hat owns CentOS, and um, I think. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's probably a good thing that Google is doing this because lots of people use CentOS and they need something to migrate to, and Stream really isn't it. And yeah, exactly, exactly. That's the point I was trying to make. Mm. Yeah, they, they, it needs to be something in that space. Yeah, and um, and I don't really want to pay Red Hat licenses for Rel because that's no. Crazy. Why, why would you if if you're like a little you know mm. you know small small project or you know you not you don't need the enterprise features then why would you? Mm. Um. Yeah, so interesting one there to make note of. Don't build anything on CentOS if you're using uh, the Red Hat environment. Stick with Rocky Linux. Now, one that's a little more close to what we're uh, going to be discussing today, and this is really interesting, uh, load balancing Google Cloud VMware engine with Traffic Director. Yeah, this is, this is very cool. Um, yeah, this is something that we've done... No, not this particular way of doing things, but we did so much work with load balancers on GCVE um, and finding, you know, new solutions to be able to enhance that product is, is awesome. Yeah, so what we're able to do now is we're able to use uh, Google the uh, Google Cloud load balancing front end with Envoy Proxy and put the entirety of GCVE behind that. Uh, and use the get all the advantages that you would get with the Google Cloud load balancing front end. 
Um, so I guess global IPs, DDoS protection. Certificate management. Uh, certificate <laughs> management. Well, yeah. That's bring like my favourite thing. <laughs> and, and bring your own IP. And bring your own IP, yeah. Now, the question I, I propose to you guys during the week is, and I'm still not able to find out an answer to this. I was looking this morning. Um, how many IPs can you put on this cloud load balancing front end? Because we know that with traditionally up to now, there's been a limit of eight, eight, eight IPs you can put on it. And, and we know the project we just did. How many IPs do they have? Mm, <laughs> 60, uh, 60 odd, odd, 70? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah I mean, uh, this is one that I think we definitely would need to like play around with. Maybe Traffic Director would help obfuscate some of that complexity. Yeah. Um, because if it's going to do the provisioning for you and manage the, the workflow, then um, it sort of doesn't really matter. If you've got eight, then it'll just have to spin up another one. So it's not really clear to me how the traffic, traffic director and Envoy fits in there. Is that being spun up as a separate resource that sort of integrates with Load Balancer, like, say, a managed instance group would yeah, be? Yeah, I think that the Envoy mm. proxies are behind the Cloud Load Balancer and then they manage the traffic flow back to NSX. Whether or not you're sending it straight to um, your VMs in NSX, uh, sorry, your GCV VMs, uh, which happen to run inside of NSX, or um, if you would back it with a you know layer 4 or layer 7 load balancer inside. Yeah, yeah. So you can do either models. You can go directly to your workloads or, or virus another layer of load balancing. Which in this blog they point out uh, is is beneficial if you have internal um, internal access requirements. So the inter- the access from the load balancer or the access from internal looks the same because you're hitting that uh, NSX load balancer. Yeah, and then you get the like the really awesome thing is you know if you're in the middle of say a you know. Uh, cloud transformation strategy, you might have migrated into GCVE, but you're now going to start modernizing your workloads. Well, then you could move some of your workloads out and you just would change, you know, within Traffic Director, some of those backings. So you could still have, um, you know, you could be backing that uh, load balancer into GCVE, but also maybe... You know, one of your pools is now in Compute Engine or in GKE or something else. Mm. Yep. Yeah, that's where I see this really coming into its own is that that uh, modernization effort. Right. It it can act as a big kachunk switch, yep. so to speak. Yeah. 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 Especially if you were thinking of, um, say, like changing IPs as part of, say, your migration to GCVE. If you did that instead of doing BYOP, then by sitting everything in front of your cloud load balancer, then you only have to make that change once. Because you've done it now, and then all your other change as you modernize is all internal networking. Yeah. Yeah. Once you set that front end up, that's it. It's there for perpetuity. Yeah. 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 Anyway, great little blog there. I'll link that in the show notes. Um, And it also has a bunch of links off to some really good resources for documentation on Traffic Director and hybrid networking and uh, exactly how the HTTPS load balancers work. So that's a good resource if you're setting up something like this. All right. Well, they were a couple of Stop the Presses stories that we came across during the week. Look, there's tons of stories every week, but uh, really um, we need to save some space in the show this week to get on with our GCVE conversation. 
So what we're here for. Uh, that's what we're here for today. I thought I'd kick things off with um, sort of an intro, a little, little overview of what GCVE is. Um, um, and, uh, you know, GCVE, uh, it's Google Cloud VMware Engine, obviously. Um, it's given GCP customers the ability to deploy cloud apps on a certified VMware stack that's managed and supported and maintained by Google. That's really the crux of it. They take all of that heavy lifting of looking after that entire state of, you know, switches and <laughs> servers and the whole rest of it, and they're doing the whole lot for you. Um, makes it easy to lift and shift your VMware-based applications to Google Cloud without changes to your apps, tools, or processes. Well, we'll get into that later. Um, yes and no. <laughs> Includes all the hardware and VMware licenses, which is great. It's all all bundled in one uh, one fee uh, to run dedicated VMware SDDCs in Google Cloud. A couple of key features. Uh, it's fully integrated VMware experience. So if you're used to running VMware on-prem uh, and using vCenter, then you're going to get exactly the same experience when you use vCenter in Google Cloud. Uh, fast provisioning. Um, so, yeah, there's auto-scaling, and we'll talk about auto-scaling a little more deeply as, as we move through, but you can you don't need to say um, how many nodes up front you want. You could just say you could just set up three nodes, and then when some load comes in or you need some extra space, it'll scale out or scale down depending on the demand. Um, use familiar third-party apps. Um, you can continue to use um, database storage, disaster recovery, and backup solutions. Uh, Antifico is a, a perfect example of that, and Ian will give us a little talk about that as we move through. Um, a couple of uh, key points about it. Um, it's on-demand self-service provisioning. Um, so, yeah, it's just if you need another private cloud, it's very easy in the GUI just to click a private, click and create a new private cloud, and then you've got another self-contained uh, estate of VMware servers. Uh, it has integrated connectivity with Google Cloud services, so you have high-speed throughput for all the Google Cloud APIs. Um, if you want to use this as a stepping stone to move from on-prem into uh, a modernized uh, infrastructure, then that's a perfect use case. You can go into into uh, GCVE and then uh, you just sort of take that strangler pattern and pull everything apart and start consuming cloud services. Uh, it provides performant networking, uh, 100 gig redundant links from all the nodes. Yeah, and I think that's like, it's so cool. I mean, very few you know, data centers now are still at that, that level. I think you get, um, like, it's, it's split up 50 50 between um, data traffic and storage traffic, but it's mm. still like, it's, it's a bit, those are big links. And then you're also, your internet connections are sitting behind Google's internet services. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I mean, it's, the, the speed is, is phenomenal. I mean, it's, 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 in a lot of cases, it feels instantaneous sometimes, yeah. you know, depending on the size of what you're doing. But it's, 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 yeah, the, the speed it's, it knocks you out of your chair. Uh, and of course, the whole thing's simplified. You don't have to get your hands dirty with a lot of, you know, a lot of the management of uh, VMware and GCVE, uh, VMware itself. Um, Google looks after all that. I think, I think that's very easy. I think that's the best part about it, to be honest. I mean, 
we've all been around the IT industry for for donkey's mm. years and and we all remember getting new nodes in and and building ourselves in the latest version of VMware and the the days and weeks of effort it'd take to do it and then merge everything over onto it. And this is just oh yeah, it's it's just there. I need new. It's just there. Yeah, I, I don't have to plan for my final number of nodes. I plan for what I need right now, and then I add them if I need them. Add them yeah. as you go, and yeah. get rid of them as you need them. Right, yeah. like yeah. Um, and this is something that I'm uh, like I know has happened recently. Right, is like um, we need to copy a really large VM. It's going to take up twice the amount of storage. Okay, I'll spin up two extra nodes. Clone the VM. Finish what I'm doing with it. Get rid of the clone. <laughs> get rid Drop of the, the two nodes. Like, yeah. good luck doing yeah. that on prem. Like, yeah. oh, I've just yeah. got to go buy, you know, a quarter million dollars worth of hardware <laughs> for an afternoon, and then <laughs> get rid of and it then, and sell it on eBay later. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Another two pizza boxes, yeah. and off we go. Though I do miss unpacking those boxes. That was always fun. <laughs> I, I actually kind of miss the, you know, when you decommission something, you're like, oh, that's got a lot of RAM in it. I can still use yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I like better, unpacking the box or turning the old box off. That was always satisfying. <laughs> it, it is satisfying to decommissioning something. Yeah, yeah. Especially absolutely. when that thing's been a pain. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The, you, the you, we've all had that one server that just constantly has <laughs> cursed <pops>. server. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. but the the thing I don't miss, honestly, the thing I don't miss is being in a data center for hours and hours on end. That that screaming of fans that are in your ears constantly. Yeah. Um, yep. You don't have to with, oh, yes. You don't have to deal with any of it. It's nope. It's nope. And I think yeah. like. You know, we were talking about like turning up the VMware environment, but like GCVE is not just, you know, like uh, spinning up a, an ESX high I host, right? It's, it really is like spinning up a separate data center. It's got its own constructs mm. in it that are like separate firewalls and separate internet access. Um, it has the capability to be like a small VPN service so that your engineers can VPN directly into them. Mm. Um, there's a lot to it. It's really flexible. Yeah. Yeah. So while you're at it, Dave, why don't you tell us about the maintenance side of things on GCVE? So, yeah. So the maintenance side of things, both like patching and hardware maintenance, this is like, I suppose, one of my favorite things with it because, you know, I've, I've managed large clusters and especially if you've ever had to manage a vSAN cluster because it's not just updating the version of ESXi that's on the box, like especially with vSAN, you really need to make sure that your firmware through the entire stack (laughs) is validated. And as things get updated, like I have seen this, not in one of my clusters, but one that I'm I'm aware of in a previous employer where there was a firmware update that was required for an SSD that the team hadn't been informed of by the vendor, who will remain nameless, that caused a data loss event. Right. Now, having to manage that yourself is a real burden. Like you're an, you're an engineering team, you've got your own priorities, and all of a sudden, like a CVE comes out and you go, oh, okay, throw off what we're doing, guys. We've got a plan to patch this week because there's a there's a 
a nine plus CVE out there. And then you're getting into, I said, on the vSAN side of things, making sure you got your firmware validated. Like, mm. it's, a, it's a pain. <laughs> so, And a lot of the time, Google are taking the updates before they're even announced, aren't they? And that's 100% correct, right? So yeah. um, I know that's happened in the last year. I think that's happened at least once. It might have to be yep. twice now. Um, that Google has patched the entire fleet of GCVE worldwide before the announcement of the... Uh, the articles out so phenomenal it's 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 a whole another league right? and that, so, that's that's part and parcel of it being a first party service too it is correct. it is so tightly integrated into google that uh it's not like a other vendors we'll say <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> where you've got to go to vmware to get your patches and all that sort of stuff it's yeah it's straight from Google. Straight from Google. Yep. 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 Single point of call. Yep. yep. You don't have to call VMware for any support issues. You talk to Google. If they need to escalate to, Google, to VMware, they will. But um, mm. they can do it all with their own team. So, yeah, as I was mentioning, so the patching of uh, like vCenter, uh, your ESX, iHost, NSXT, that is completely managed by Google. Right, um, they are responsible for all of that lifecycle management, uh, including the uh, the vCenter PSC as well. Um, they only thing that they don't do is like if you've got other things that are installed in there. So if you've got SRM or you know VROPS or anything like that, those still sit in your in your scope. Um, and yeah, for critical security patches, they patch within the week, right? So that's the um, the SLA for their uh, that management. And yeah, just not having to deal with that yourself. It, really is brilliant and in terms of how they actually manage the patches so say you've you've got a cluster that is 10 nodes right that's what you're paying for you've got 10 nodes if they need to patch they'll add an 11th node right and then they'll go through and maintain so during the maintenance window you've still got everything that you wanted you don't have to provision an extra node just to handle for a maintenance event. Um, same goes for if there's a hardware failure, because I mean, these are servers and things die. Um, you know, we had a case where there was a, a mm. dim failed in one node. That's right. Yeah. They just <laughs> connect a new node, drain yep, the old just, node, and that, that node never comes back for you. It gets fixed. Yep. <laughs> and that's uh, it. And and that's then it. it goes back into their available pool once they sort it out. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. <laughs> I love that. There's no... <laughs> waiting for an outage window, like, okay, we're going to the DC, we're going to drop a few things down, or, you know, maybe we're a little bit oversubscribed here, so we have to, (laughs) maybe we have to shut off a couple of dev workloads to handle taking a host down. No, there's none of that. Um, And the other cool thing is if you're using, um, like, affinity groups, so say you've got SQL pinning in the environment, you're really trying to keep some VMs on some certain hosts, it takes that into account. So it can can replace a host in the affinity group. Ah, right, because that's a question we had early on, wasn't it? Yeah, because, yeah. I mean, that's yeah, a common thing, right? You don't want to yeah. have SQL Enterprise licensing on your entire cluster, for example. So I want all my SQL Enterprise stuff on, you know, three hosts. Um, and so, yeah, it takes that into account. It's really cool. Yeah, cool. And um, talking about auto-scaling, um, I think, uh, Ian, you you had a little bit to say on auto-scaling, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So speaking of the um, the the patching where Google adds a node in, um, obviously you get that node for nothing whilst they're whilst yeah. they're patching the cluster, and then they they get rid of it afterwards. But auto scaling is really cool. We we've always been in a situation in traditional VMware where you have to predict how big your cluster has to be, um, whether that's 
an essentials license or whether it's enterprise and, and you've got 10 nodes in your cluster, you've got to sort of on-prem, you've got to pick it pretty accurately. In Google, you don't. Uh, if you've got, you start out with three nodes as a standard cluster uh, for vSAN. Uh, and as you put workloads into that cluster, the um, if you've got auto scaling turned on, then the cluster scales automatically. So it'll add a node when it needs to, when you when your vSAN gets to a threshold, and it can remove it as well when it gets to a, a different threshold. And the, the thresholds are pretty pretty simple. So the, the ones that come out of the box are storage capacity. So if, if your vSAN is more than 75% consumed, you'll go up a node. And conversely, if it's less than 40% consumed, it'll go down a node. Uh, then you've got CPU performance. So everything takes into account the storage. It just adds the CPU or memory or CPU and memory onto it. So CPU utilization above 70%, it'll go up as long as... And if your storage is also more than 75%, sorry, or if your storage is more than 75%, it'll go up. And if uh, it'll go down, if CPU utilization is below 45% and the storage is under 40%. Now notice there's a difference there. There's If you're adding a node, it's an either or scenario. If you're removing a node, it's an and scenario. So all the metrics have to be true or all the tests have to be true in order to remove one, versus if you're scaling up, any of the metrics have to be true. And what about uh, setting limits on auto-scaling? Does this just keep growing forever? or Well, look, you can <laughs> leave it grow forever. Uh, there is an ability to set a limit inside the console, which is really cool. Uh, we, we did that in the last project. We, we set the limit at 10, I think, initially, and then we, uh, we bumped it up to 16. I think was the final number we ended up at. It was maybe it was fourteen. I can't quite remember, but uh, but yeah, there is definitely a limit there. It's much the same as auto scaling in Kubernetes. Um, if you've ever used Kubernetes or GKE, you can see there's an auto scaling there for the node pool. This is exactly the same. It just adds VMware nodes. Um, Real tin. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly right. Real tin. It's actually proper. Uh, it is um, Dell hardware. It's um, Dell PowerEdge servers. Uh, the time to scale is a really cool one. It's about 45 minutes to add an entire node in and have it online. Um, general experience is it's somewhere between 45 minutes and an hour uh, to have a, a machine fully online and, and in the pool. And that's just re rebalance vSAN as well. Yeah, I think that's the, the key thing, right? It really depends how busy your vSAN is to actually yep. get that data striped across it. So, Yeah, that's but right. Given that you've got 50 gig a, a, sec a millisecond of... Uh, bandwidth there <laughs> yeah um we did notice and this is one of the things that i found really really awesome with with the product uh we noticed because we had two private clouds uh the the monitoring wasn't actually checking the cpu ram and vsan usage um correctly for, per v uh per private cloud and um and we raised this with Google and they fixed it and it was I think it was a week or two before they fixed it but they fixed it so that auto scaling actually worked so yeah that that was really good to have Google on top of it straight away yeah and that was like their product teams actually updating it was it was really cool I think it was um, we had an extra uh, data store connected and so it was seeing that it was that particular one was like not constrained not just yep. the vSAN one um, so. Yeah, it was, but it was really nice to actually see, you know, the big 
just so receptive to that. Yeah, and getting things fixed. Yeah, well, I think that's I think that's about it for for auto scaling. It's 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 a really cool feature. I mean, I, I just love that. Like, obviously, being able to grow it is is great, but definitely also being able to shrink it, especially mm. if you're on that. I said that that transformation journey where I'm in GCVE now and that's got me off-prem and that's great. But now as I'm starting to completely modernize my application stack, well, I can start shrinking things down. Maybe I can, you know, depending on your environment, maybe your uh, CPU constraint. So you might start looking at, all right, what's my my heavy hitter CPU um, nodes to get out of there? Um, Or maybe like you've got some just really big database servers. It's like, if I get rid of these two DBs, I might be able to like half my fleet. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. Um, and and so we saw that too. We we saw that big, big databases. You get rid of them into Cloud SQL and all of a sudden you've got, you've got, you can get rid of a node or two nodes. Your demand on your private cloud drops dramatically yeah. once you get and, rid of those and, databases. Yeah, absolutely. And the demand on your back pocket does the same. <laughs> For yeah, sure. That's right. <laughs> I think it, it's something. And it's another managed service, right? So you yeah. don't have to faff around with it. Yeah. Right. And, absolutely. and there is also, because you're, you're, in Google already, like once you're in here, all your data is there. You know, you're able to consume things outside of the GCVE side. You're, you're plumbed in, right? Um, and one of those that you can use is like uh, uh, NetApp Cloud Volumes. So you can present storage from outside of GCVE. You can have a cloud volume in GCP and you can present that as an NFS mount straight to your VMs. Yep. Yeah, and that's that's, that's a really good and cheap way of getting extra storage if you need to without just spinning up another node. Yep, yep. And uh, speaking of integration, it's it's really tightly integrated with monitoring with uh, Google Cloud monitoring. We talked about it, we touched on monitoring a little a little bit earlier, and I I want to talk about this because. Um, if you go and look in the Terraform module registry, you'll find a module by yours truly, which actually spins up the entire uh, GCV monitoring agent for you. Uh, it makes things easy. Uh, if you were to follow the Google instructions, you can, you got to follow the bouncing ball and it, it can get quite confusing at times. But uh, yeah, this module does it all for you. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, and what enables it, what it enables you to do then is collect the logging and monitoring from the VMware uh, cloud and from the VMware nodes and integrate that into a logging project if you spin up a separate log- logging project and you can you're, there are some uh, dashboards that you can use so it helps you gain visibility and performance availability and health of your applications and infrastructure you can use Google Cloud monitoring as parts of Google's Cloud's operation suite to monitor troubleshoot and operate VMware engine services at scale so once you've done that you can then build up a couple of dashboards um, and those dashboards uh, give you there's, there's three main dashboards that are available um, one is an overview dashboard, which gives you a high-level view that lists key resources, data centers, clusters, and VMs. Really handy. Uh, the contention dashboard, uh, resource utilization for storage, CPU, memory, networking to help you locate top VMs and host by resource demand. Uh, you also get the virtual machine performance dashboard. This dashboard drills down into the actual VMs, the virtual machine instant performance indicators that can be filtered by instance name and used to compare the performance of multiple VMs with each other. Now, we one really, really cool thing that we did with this, um, and I'm going to talk about NSX shortly, but um, 
using what came out of GCVE uh, logging, when we did our migration, we were actually able to build out custom dashboards for the firewall logs. Yeah, using log-based metrics. Using log-based metrics, which is already baked in to, uh, you know, cloud operations. And doing that, we were able to immediately tell where there was a problem when an app migrated. We could see what, what ports, what network blocks were in place, and we could just jump on it straight away and fix it. Yeah. It's, you know, yeah. A little bit of regex goes a long way. <laughs> uh, a little bit of regex goes a long way, but that was a game changer. Oh, so much. Having that all yeah. just in a dashboard, and all of a sudden I could see, all right, we just moved some workloads, and aha, there's all just brand new things that are being blocked. Right away, something pops in there. We go, we've got a problem here straight away, we could tell. And, and then the, the, the flip side of that is putting the on-premise firewall logs in as well. Because yeah. that gave us the insight in the in this last migration of when we were trying to hit on premise workloads and the firewall on prem was blocking us, and yep, and it was amazing to be able to do that because the changes it takes us two minutes to change a firewall rule um, yeah. using Terraform. Quite, but yeah, that's right. But quite often it's finding the problem that yeah. takes the time. Right? It's not the actual implementation; it's finding it. Mm. Um, and of course. Being cloud operations, you can feed your on-prem logs from any device straight into there, and then you can just parse it and create sort of any metric you like from that, which is exactly what we did. And having them all integrated in one single place, yeah. Yeah. Game changer. Yeah, no clicking around, oh, I've got to log into the firewall and <laughs> see oh, what's being yeah. hit now. And uh, yeah, I mean, boy, even yeah. the native um, NSXT interface for seeing what traffic's hitting firewalls isn't great. Right, no. like they're they're assuming that you're using something like Login Site or, uh, you know, Splunk or cloud operations. Right, so that's mm. where you have to go to pull that data out. Yep, yep, for sure. Um, so yeah, monitoring is is well looked after. Um, I, I guess the the way we ended up setting it up is uh, we did end up with a separate monitoring project and that's really good as well because you could get people that aren't operations people uh part of an observability team or you know sr team that need to go in and find these problems uh and they can have independent access and do what they like in there uh to create whatever views they need yeah I think the other thing that we were able to do then was because uh, all those logs were hitting there, um, we also had like login events and auditing events. So, you know, we were able to build out an alert for, you know, if someone logs in with the break glass admin account. Yeah. You know, we want everyone to know about that. Yeah, that's right. Because that's, that's the one that really shouldn't be used unless something really bad has happened because it's the full user, the full root account. Oh, yeah. Look, logging and monitoring is a is a uh, bottomless pit, really. Yep. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you do need to be. You can get distracted with it, and you do need to be careful that you set up what's important to 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 view and monitor and be alerted by. Otherwise, there's just too much noise. Mm. They tend to get ignored. But you um, know, it's really good for these guys. Uh, the project we just came off because they really didn't have anything in place like that at all. And just out of the box, so we just built this, we were just able to create this for them, and now they've got it. So one other technology that we did implement for them is NSXT. Now, what is NSXT? Well, um, VMware NSX is a network virtualization and security platform that enables the virtual cloud network. So it's basically software-defined networking within VMware. Um you can reproduce your entire network uh, in software. 
the entire topology uh, from simple stuff to more complex multi-tier stuff. Um, it can be provisioned in seconds, and it is really fast. We'll get we'll get into how that works shortly. Um, independent of underlying hardware, and it brings network and security closer to the application where it's running. So typical use cases might be um, zero trust security, uh, multi-cloud networking, network automation, container networking, advanced load balancing, container, container ingress. So anything you can do with your F5s and your 40 nets and all your uh, checkpoints, you can implement in NSXT um, as software-defined networking. Um, you get a complete layer two to layer seven networking and security virtualized platform. Uh, you can and manage the entire network as a single entity from a single plane of glass. Uh, enforce consistent networking and security policies and automate and tailor the network to your needs. So that term automate is a game changer. You can build and automate the entire network infrastructure as networkers code as infrastructure as code using Terraform. And that's in fact what we did for this last client. And it was an absolute game changer. Um, now there's been some numbers splash splashed around to say that it can save up to 35% by consolidating your network and security functions into a single platform. Fantastic. And you're saving in a lot of toil as well. You're not logging in constantly and doing all these things. You can have a full CICD pipeline to deploy all your networking. Um, agility through automation, uh, one-click provisioning, um, and it's all managed by IAC, which I, you know, we've talked about. Um, one of the things I do like about it is you still do have the ability to go into the web buoy uh, and look at the infrastructure at that point. So you can deploy by, uh, via ISC and that works great. But actually in NSX, you get a uh, topology. It gives you a, a dynamic map of, of what your topology looks like. And that can be really handy um, for visualizing things for yourself or explaining things to others um, that you know may not be as savvy and they need a bit of a, a diagram to help them through. A basic design, for instance, in NSXT, you would have a T0 router, and the T0 router connects up into Google, uh, connects into the, the VMware API in your project, and then connects by a private service connection across to uh, your uh, Google Cloud uh, services. Um, and then from that T0, you would have a tier, bunch of T1 routers. Now, hanging off T0, you'd probably have T1 for production, a T1 for non-production, and then maybe a T1 for like your management stuff. Just depending on um, how your how you want to design things, what your corporate security policies are, um, and how if you were doing a migration, what your starting situation is would affect how you would lay that out. But it's really flexible and really quite easy if you want to make a change later. We had a situation where we wanted to move some. I'm trying to remember the details here, guys. We wanted to move. Uh, one network from uh, one tier one to another tier one, and it. Oh, it, oh it, I remember it, we um we spun yeah. up a new tier one because we wanted to change the load balancer provisions or the tier one provision yeah. size. Yeah, yeah, because the, the tier ones yeah. are provisioned so, as either a routing tier one or a load balancing tier one because they're different node types inside of VMware. That's right. Mm. So when we initially spun it up, we, we did it as a routing tier one, but later we realized we needed load balancing in that router. So uh, it was just a matter of creating uh, the, the, the new router with the load balancing enabled. And then uh, I changed a two to a one in one line of code. 
and then ran the thing and it just flicked it over to the new router and it was like 12 network segments just immediately 12 on the other networks side. that it just immediately moved and it would have been instantaneous when you when you run the terraform code it is so quick what it does um and it just just flicked it over instantaneously so yeah, massive, massive advantage to having infrastructure as code. And that was a, that um, was a thing throughout the entire project. Is we needed to add DHCP to one of the networks. It was we go away and do the changes in the background. Takes us five minutes. Apply it, and it's done instantaneously. It's done. Yep. Yeah, you can you can do everything right. You can do DHCP, which you just mentioned, DNS, um, um, north, south, and east, west firewalling, gateways, routing, tagging, load balancers, OSPF segments, BGP. You can do the whole lot all in one single plane of class. Now, there are a couple of funny things with NTXT. Um, look, I don't know if this is a function of um, – well, I do know it's a function of, of the the, NSX, the Terraform provider. Not everything that the API provides is available in the provider. There are some ClickOps things. Um, but we typically found that they were set and forget. You, you just go in, you ClickOps it, and that's it. You kind of don't need – to go and change that again. Certificates, for instance, you you would go in and put the certificates in, and then as Terraform ran, it would just read those certificates um, as as data, and they would be available to Terraform. Yeah, you'd probably still that, that certs need to build out a, a parallel certificate automation. I think would be uh, ideal there. That would be ideal. Yeah, if 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 the Terraform provider does ever provide it one day, then that would be what you would need, a separate pipeline to handle that. All the APIs are there. Um, so mm. if you were either coding something yourself or you've got something else to use, like you, the APIs to be able to manage certificates in NSX are there. It's just the Terraform provider doesn't implement them right now. I think the one that I, that I found quite odd was uh, we were trying to set up SSL profiles or application profiles, I think it was, in inside of the load balancer, and we couldn't do that in Terraform. We had to do that in the, the GUI. I was like, hang on. Once they were, once it, they were in, then you could reference them as a data object. <laughs> that's right. It was. It took two yeah. minutes to do it, but it was still like, why? Yeah. Odd. Yeah. 98% of everything else we did in the project was done in Terraform. That's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Look, I, I don't think it's a big deal. No. And it does seem like they've focused their effort on the things that are going to be more dynamic, those kind of things that are click-opsy. Um, they're set and forget. You set them up and you don't have to worry about it again. You just, but in, in in our particular case, we had um, two sides and uh, zone A and zone B, so we had to be careful that uh, those clickopsy things were replicated exactly the same on each side. Because obviously, when the Terraform ran, we ran it out of a single code base. Uh, it needed to see those data sources on both sides that matched. Um, a couple of things I really like about it, um, obviously. IAC, like building it as infrastructure as code, unbelievable. Um, specifically, one of the things was sharing of objects between load balancers and firewalls. So in the past, you might have had to define an object in the firewall and then go and define the same object in the load balancer. Uh, they've got the same IP, they're the same thing. Well, why not just have a single file? And this is exactly what we did in Terraform that defined all your objects. And then when you build a firewall rule or you build a load balancer, it's referring to that host and it knows that IP address. So later on, if that host changes, different IP, different network, you change it in one place, run your Terraform again and boom, it just gets, that change gets reflected out everywhere in all your infrastructure. Great having them all integrated like that. 
uh, full text searching across your code. Yeah. That's like how cheeky does that feel? Oh, hey? It was awesome. It really was. <laughs> yeah. Like finding firewall rules that needed to be modified or or an endpoint that needed to be changed to a different IP address was just so much simpler doing it like that as opposed to trying to bumble through a GUI. Oh, yeah. Yes. Just bang, just find it. Oh, there it is. Now, especially when you had to update like that. a bunch of them. You're like, oh, okay, I've... We've changed the ID, the uh, the IP range we're going to use for these VIPs. Okay, we've got like twenty things to go update. Done. Terraform apply. Yep. 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 And on that too, and I don't have I don't have that on my list here, but I was thinking there was a particular particular thing in there. We had to put some names into the segments, and you guys said to me, "Oh, Steve, can you?" Can you append the third octet of the segment IP to the name? Okay, well, we can do that programmatically. And sure enough, we've done it programmatically. So you're not going in there and manually typing out all these names, 500 different names. Um, just just does it on the fly for you. Yeah. If your IP address changes, bang, it just renames the, the name of the segment. Um, and on that, uh, the other big advantage for the for the devs, for instance, is that the code base can be visible for everyone. So in the past, and I'm, I'm thinking of a specific, specific instance here, like the devs may not know uh, which server a particular domain lands on because they they're not they're not seeing the load balancers, they're not seeing the pools, they're not seeing the way that's distributed, or they don't know the load balancing algorithm, um, for instance. Why not just give them access to the repo, read access to the repo, and they can have a look through there, and they can do their full text search across it and find exactly the information they like. And, th- and then you could also, if they want something changed, they can raise an issue in there. Go, hey, they, this IP, can we change that? They can <laughs> raise a pull request on the repo. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's done. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not sort of all all up to a single you know network admin to go through and and find this inf- constant information i know when i was doing that kind of job 99 percent of the work is just requests for information yeah. right and oh well, how does this connect to this and how does that connect to that and oh well you're going to need a firewall rule for that well now the guys can go and see it themselves self-documenting infrastructure that's right and, and bringing yeah. new bring new network admins up or, or security admins up on what's in production currently. It's so much simpler doing this. Go and read these files and, and you'll learn it pretty quick. Yep. As opposed to having to step them through a, a web UI to, to show them what's happening. Or, or three or four different web four, UIs. Yes, that's right, going, three or four. Yeah. Yeah, we got load balancer, proxies, firewalls, yeah. all different boxes. Uh-uh, it's just all in one place. I yep. think we didn't touch on it, but... Um, Again, because this is managed, like you don't have to worry about like the edge clusters and all the uplinks and all like the the underlay network stuff for NSX. You don't have to worry about that. Like that's managed by Google, mm. right? You can you yep. can live quite happily in the overlay networks. You can build out anything. However, if you do have a need, so for example, if you've got a backup appliance that's going to have a lot of traffic, you might not want to haul all that through NSX you can get access to the underlay networks and get access to a subnet, put your VM on that um, for your backup appliance or a replication appliance. Like you've got all that available to you. But Mm. in normal operation, you can quite happily live in NSXT segments. And to that point, uh, I was talking to one of the Googlers the other day who said that 
Google are making available, I think he said it was five VLANs for customer use on the underlay networks. So Google obviously provisions a whole heap of VLANs for, for GCVE to work on. Um, they're giving access to customers to five different VLANs for use for their backup solutions or, or whatever other solutions they need to use. Right. So this is this is kind of think of it kind of outside GCVE mm-hmm. then. Well, I mean it's it, it's within GCVE still, but it's it's outside of NSX. Yes, outside of NSX. Ah, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah right. 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 It's right, the yeah. underneath of GCVE. So provisioning. VLANs directly on their switches as opposed to on your software-defined switches. Yeah, because if, if you think that, you know, uh, an ESX host in GCVE is TIN and it has network interfaces and those network interfaces have VLANs that are plugged into switches, like those, con- it's, you know, it still exists in the real world. It's not a virtual mm. ESX host. You've got TIN. Mm. Um, so there is, you know, VLANs that can be accessed and, you know, they do make them available now, which is yeah. just really cool. It just, it adds a mm. lot of extra options. <laughs> yeah, right. And one of those things that you can do with those extra uh, VLANs is HCX. Yeah, so tell us what HCX is all about, Dave. Yeah, cool. So, and uh, as you mentioned, like, HCX is deployed on these underlay networks, right, because it's really storage. Um, like, there's, there's a lot of data transfer that will happen with it. So. What HCX is, is it's a, it's a VMware product and it's included in your GCVE license. Uh, you actually get uh, HCX Enterprise um, included at no extra charge. It used to be HCX Advanced and you could request Enterprise, but it sounds like pretty much everyone requested Enterprise and so now it's the standard offering. Um, what HCX is used for is it is really the absolute easiest way to migrate a VM from on-prem into the cloud, like hands down, right? Because you you can do it in like a lunch break. (laughs) Um, With HCX, you you use it to stretch your on-prem networks into the cloud. So what you do is you deploy an on-prem appliance. It creates a, a, a tunnel to the HCX destination in GCVE. Um, and then once those tunnels are in place, it the mesh it calls, um, you can then say like, okay, this, um, this network, um, for example, maybe I've got, you know, my data center might have like 20 VLANs and I want to move a VM from one of them or 20 of them. <laughs> um, you select that VLAN and uh, you extend that out into uh, GCVE and it will provision a destination network for you in NSXT. So it's not doing it in Terraform. Um, This was something that we ended up uh, in our project. We would let it build the networks for us and then we would import them to Terraform so we could sort of, we could uh, work with them later. Uh, But it will build this destination network. uh, And then while the network extension is in place, it has like a, I guess like a proxy appliance that's deployed in the destination end. Um, that takes over the gateway. And so once that's there, it's it's creating a fully encrypted tunnel from your on-prem to GCP, which is absolutely brilliant. And then once that's in place, you can take your VM or 10 VMs or 100 VMs and choose from an array of different migration options to send it over to GCVE. And if you use any of the online ones, like it's the same as a vMotion within your data center. Maybe you lose a ping, 
maybe you don't even lose that. Um, and then that VM will be running in the cloud. The only thing that you'll notice is, you know, the latency will change slightly if you were pinging from within the data center and, you know, maybe you've added two milliseconds because you're now over at Google site or wherever it is your destination is. But, you know, it still works. Your server that's now in GCP uh, can still access all your on-prem stuff. It'll still route back on-prem. Um, it's, yeah, it's it's so flexible and there's so many different ways that you can use it. Um, but yeah, so stretching your VLAN out, moving the, the VMs, that's probably the the, the kind of the, the standard way, right? Yeah. And that's that's the best way to think of it, isn't mm. it? It's just a stretched network that now appears on in both sites and then that, that VM is free to move between the two sites. Uh, if you migrate it across and it doesn't work out the plan, you can migrate it back quite easily. Yeah, definitely. You can um, do a reverse migration. You can send it back on-prem. Um, yeah. And then when the time comes, you unstretch that network and you change your routing so that network is now routed to within GCP and uh, all your on-prem stuff can can find it. Um, we, didn't, we didn't talk about it before, but that routing is just handed automatically via BGP and there's a BGP relationship between uh, GCP and your on-prem uh, devices via your um, however you're linking into GCP. Um, and that that's handled automatically as well. Yeah, that, that's you know we didn't touch on it, but that's um, the the really awesome thing, right? Is that you can move those VMs over, and you don't even need to re-IP them because you're picking up a subnet and you are moving it over to GCP. And you know I mentioned that you can move one VM. Eventually, you know you would move like everything that's on that subnet. You would get them all running over in GCPE, and then when they're there, go okay, cool. We're going to do a network change now and. As Banky said, right, we're going to chop off that VLAN on-prem. We're going to change the routing that exists now purely coming from GCP. Um, or, you know, maybe you're um, you're changing some of your network topology at the same time, right? So it gives you the option of like, okay, we'll build out a couple of new segments and, you, and we are going to re-IP a few things. Um, you know, you can choose how you want to run that. The... Um, one of the other really cool things is you've got a few different ways of moving the VMs. So included in this, because you do have HCX Enterprise, you can uh, do a bulk migration. Now, I found the bulk migration probably to be the most flexible. It has the lowest requirements. You only need to have VM hardware level seven to be able to do a bulk migration, which is, that's really old. It's like 10-year-old VM hardware version. Um and you can queue up to 100 servers. Uh, you can basically choose your, your 100 servers as long as their network extensions happened. Uh, you can seed their data across to GCVE and you can set a maintenance window. So they say, for example, I've got my 100 servers. It's like 20 terabytes worth of data. I wait a few days for that to synchronize across and then I set a date. Say, all right, at 5 p.m. on Friday night because I don't want to do anything on Friday night. <laughs> <laughs> um, at 5 p.m. on Friday night, the maintenance window for these servers opens up. And at 5 o'clock, it will shut them down on-prem and it'll power them up in GCP. Um, generally, I found that that entire cutover, no matter how many VMs I threw at it, was about seven minutes. <laughs> so it's yeah. real quick. And it's effectively just a reboot for the uh, for the VM. Um, yeah. There's actually there's a two-hour RPO. Um, so if you depending on your rate of change, like after it shuts down the server, it kind of syncs that last delta across. Uh, but again, it's only two hours worth of sync. Um, but that, yeah. you know, that's shutting down a box. 
Um, you can certainly do online migrations with vMotion. So vMotion will do it one at a time, but you don't have to reboot the server. Um, and then there's also replication-assisted vMotion, which uh, is kind of a hybrid of the two. Uh, it has the kind of bulk initial data sync that it'll do for all the servers. But when you get to the maintenance window, it will then migrate a server one at a time. So it's if you're doing a lot of servers, that's probably the quickest uh, that also has no impact. So it's, uh, it's real slick. Um, and then also, depending on what you want to do, there's a whole bunch of additional options that you can apply as part of the migration. So you might decide that as part of the migration, I also want to upgrade the VM hardware or VM tools uh, or run a personalization script or update DNS servers. Uh, and if you want to do any of those things, you can enable that as part of the migration. And then, yeah, then there's also like there's one other way of using HCX, which it has like a whole DR side of things, which you could use post migration. But uh, I think Ian's yeah, had the most experience on the the DR side. So, yeah, cool. Thank you. Um, yeah. So as as Dave said, HCX can be used as DR, but there's there's a, a whole heap of tools in GCVE that that we can use for DR. Obviously, there's the third party tools that you're probably already aware of, Zerto and and the likes. Um, you can plug them straight into GCVE and off you go, use them exactly the same as you did before. There's also SRM, uh, so VMware's own site recovery manager. That's that requires a separate license. It's not a uh, not a licensed product inside of GCVE, but if you've got licenses for it already, go for it. It's a great tool. Uh, as Dave mentioned, HCX is a perfect solution. You've got it there already. Why not use it? HCX is included for free. Um, you get the enterprise license. That gives you the ability to replicate your VMs to a different zone or back maybe on-prem if you wanted to use on-prem as a, as a DR site. And as Dave said, that's it, it just keeps that replication flow going. So data as it changes in GCVE or on-prem gets gets replicated to the other site. And I think you can get down to uh, RPO five minutes, I think, with yes. HCX. Yeah, five is minutes is, is the is the, the minimum. But um, the, the other one that we found, um, th so obviously SRM has got this capability of restoring to a bubble, and that's a fantastic feature. We love it. We think it's, we think it's awesome. Um, we found to, a way to do something similar inside of HCX in that your tier one that you're restoring to is disconnected from your tier zero and you do a test restore inside of HCX to that same network and you have a perfectly running environment inside of that disconnected tier zero, uh, sorry, disconnected tier one. Um, I can already hear people screaming at the microphone. How do you access it then? It's simple. Another tier one that's connected, put a leg in there, put a leg into the disconnected tier one. Now you've got access. Um, really simple solution. It's a really intuitive user interface and there is lots and lots of documentation on how to use HCX as a DR solution. Uh, Google's got a heap and VMware, obviously, they have their own documentation. But then we've got Google's own backup and, and DR solution. So Google bought a product called Actifio Go uh, probably 12 months ago now, I think. And it is a first-party marketplace backup solution for all GCP resources. So that includes GCVE. 
Uh, it uses, for GCVE, it uses VMware's vStorage API for data protection protocol. Um, so not only can it back up GCVE resources, but it can also back up your on-prem resources and be able to restore into GCVE or vice versa. Uh, it's really simple to deploy. If you're deploying it into Compute Engine, it's just a simple click in the marketplace. If you're deploying it into GCV itself, uh, it's simply getting in contact with your SA and and uh, getting the the OVA files to deploy, and um, and then it's up and running. In I think we got we got it up and running for the first time I'd ever touched it in in probably two and a half hours to deploy the VMs and get them IP'd and everything. Uh, ideally, if you're going to do it in GCVE, put it into one of the uh, the underlay networks, so one of the VLANs that, that Google now gives you access to, because it is pretty storage intensive um, on the network. And the other trick that we found is if you're, if you're going to be backing up large things into a snapshot pool, make your and your primary snapshot pool the smallest size you possibly can that's because you can't delete it not easily well not yes no. you can delete it not without a service call yeah it's going to take a bit <laughs> so that that was a really that was a, a learning curve there but um, but obviously it's a it's a really good product um, again it's a first party service uh, we you can use it so if you're in that that uh, modernization piece. You've moved all your workloads into GCVE and now you're trying to use native services for it. Um, Activio Go can back up all of those native services and it, and it just stores all of your long-term snapshots into um, GCS. So you can store it in uh, nearline or cold line storage. Uh, and your snapshots can be um, stored as either GCE block or GCV vSAN. So that one's a really cool one to look at, and um, and obviously a, a a really cool product from a backup perspective inside of GCV and Google as as a whole. Yeah, awesome. And I think that's like the fact that they've got Activio Go there. Like it's it's a that's a common question that we get, right? Like, okay, I'm moving off prem. Um, and I had all my my backup infrastructure here. I have my other data center. Oh, okay, I've probably time to think about a new backup solution. Yeah. Mm. I mean, you can still use your Convolts and all that sort of stuff sure, if you, they've if got you really options. want. Yeah. They've they've got options. They've got yeah. abilities to to back up VMs, but but they back up VMs. It's not like they have native access to GCE or Cloud SQL or anything else. Yeah. So yeah, it's just it's a common thing. Like, oh, okay, we're thinking about the solution. Do we want? We can keep going with what we've got, but maybe use the cloud version of it. Or yeah, Activio's there. So yeah. All right. Well, thanks, guys. Um, I think we've covered a lot of topics today. Certainly, uh, you know, it's it's not – if we were to go into all the minutia on every subject that we've uh, covered over the last three months, we'd probably bore you all to tears. <laughs> yeah, ten-part series. <laughs> ten-part series. But look, uh, GCVE is just a, a paradigm shift in the way that you work with VMware and uh, certainly makes things a lot easier from our perspective. Yeah, and I think it's it's a it's a solution that continues to improve. Like even in the time that we've been working on it, um, new features have become available. Things have changed in the uh, in the product. They 
like Google are actively developing this and, you know, we're seeing a load of interest in the market. Like, you know, we've wrapped up a project now. We will very soon be straight into another one. Um, there's, there's, there's a lot of interest in this. And, and yeah, yeah, absolutely. to that point, the, the VLAN stuff wasn't available when we started using it. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's available now. And there's, there's plenty of other features that are on the roadmap there that are very shortly to be released. Mm-hmm. Yeah, look out for it. There's going to be some big, big announcements coming. But if you want to find out more about Google Cloud VMware Engine, then you can catch Ian and I. We're giving a talk, Ian. Yeah. Uh, we are going to be at uh, the uh, – what's this thing called? The Solution Series <laughs> on the 10th of August. Uh, the Solution Series at the Sydney Google head office, uh, the 10th of August from uh, from 1 p.m. to 5.15 p.m. And I think our talk's, what, around 3 o'clock? Yeah, 3 something 20, like that. Uh, 3, 3.20. And you're going to be there in like person, that. right? In Meatspace. Yeah. We're yeah. going to be in Meatspace. That's right. How uh, cool is that? Along with a whole bunch of – yeah, absolutely. And Ian, Ian's going to make the trip down from Queensland. We can finally catch up with that beer, Ian. That's going to oh, be great. Um, yeah, so come along. Uh, Google usually put on a good spread too. There'll be some uh, some nibblies and a few drinks there beforehand. Um, come along and watch us talk all about VMware Engine on Google Cloud. Uh, but I think that's about it from us today, guys. Uh, don't forget, people, to go to iTunes and write a review for the show. That will really help the show out. And check out Casner Between Two Clouds, our sister YouTube channel, where you see our CEO and CTO talking about Google Cloud. I might even convince them to talk about GCVE. Um, you can contact the show, gcplife at kasner.com.au. We've got the Twitter at gcplife. Uh, the website, you can Google that. And um, yeah, don't forget today's sponsor is Kasner. At Kasner, we make your Google Cloud and GCVE <laughs> solutions possible. <laughs> you guys got anything else to add for today? No, I think you've summed that up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's the 20th time I've done that oh. outro, so I have to be getting good at it. <laughs> oh, that's gold. No, that, that, that's it for me. I hope everyone has a great weekend. Yeah, same here. I'm looking forward to, to catching up next week at Google On Air. Yeah, well, let's, we'll see you there. And that'll be it for us for two weeks. We'll see you later. Bye. Ciao. In the middle of Dave That's talking about there. bloody HCX, my son walks in from school. I saw you gesture. You're like, go away. <laughs> <laughs> you need one of those uh, red recording lights. Yeah, out of yeah. The door. yeah, on air, on air, on air. <laughs>